And so, whoops, where am I? All right. So friends, we are going to take a bit of a risk together this morning. Um, in that, uh, I'm going to talk about politics. Um, <laughs> but don't panic. Um, because I have uh, managed to talk about difficult subjects and politics with uh, four congregations so far, and no one has uh, stormed out of the church or the virtual Zoom meeting in a huff. So uh, I think I think we're probably going to be okay. Um, <coughs> there was there was one woman uh, in one of the churches who regularly walked out of the church about halfway through my sermon every Sunday. But since she did it every Sunday for multiple months, I think she just had an appointment or something. At least that's what I told myself. Um, <laughs> so uh, let me just find. Okay. So now why, of course? Well, first of all. Um, it's been a big week, right? We've seen some really significant, um, upsetting, disturbing, uh, unexpected, frightening events happen south of the border. And um, in this time of um, church decline and asking ourselves what our role is and searching for a way to be meaningful, um, you know, because we can't take it for granted now that people come to church. It's, it's not, I mean, you know this better than I, but it's not part of the social fabric anymore. So um, if, if we want to be a place that, that people feel drawn to, I think we really have a, a strong call to speak to the events of the day. And so that's why I'm taking this risk. Um, I mean, I'm also taking it because You've had Mitchell before before me, and I don't know which Mitchell well, but I know he's smart and thoughtful. So my guess is that he's probably raised some touchy subjects with you before. And also I've been informed by a couple of you that if I try something and it doesn't work, you'll just tell me. So I figure, you know, it's worth taking a risk. And I would far rather be told that it didn't work than to have everyone talking about it in the parking lot. So um, this sermon was not only inspired by the events of this week, but by words from um, a role model of mine. Uh, her name is Nadia Boltz Weber. She is a Lutheran priest in Colorado. Um, she is a very unlikely person to become a pastor. Uh, she's a, she's although, or maybe she's a very likely person. Uh, she's a recovered alcoholic. She's a former stand-up comic. She's got tattoo sleeves up and down her arms. Um, she grew up in a very fundamentalist denomination, left the church in anger and pain and uh, found herself unwillingly coming back to it and then became a priest. And uh, I follow her on Instagram and on Wednesday morning, even before um, the, the violence and mayhem really began in Washington, she posted the words that on this epiphany day, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have it in front of me, but she said, on this epiphany, I am reminded of a king who was so frightened of losing power that he took a hit out on a toddler. And I thought, well, that is extremely relevant. The story of the death 
of innocent babies in Bethlehem is a hard one. Infants embody vulnerability, innocence, helplessness, and love. So the death of an infant, really, for all humans across the world, across cultures, the death of an infant is a tragedy, uh, but the killing of one is evil. Something visceral within us revolts and cries out. It doesn't matter whether or not we knew the child. We know that to kill an infant is one of the worst crimes against humanity and God. Now, when I preached on this particular passage last year, I, I struggled with it. Unsurprisingly, it's difficult. And the question for me in December of 2019 was, how could God let this happen? Now, it's a perfectly natural question. And that question of how does evil live in God's world is one that people of faith have asked through millennia. But Matthew doesn't raise the question of why did this happen or how could this happen? He has a reason for including this story, and I'll come to that in a moment. But for Matthew, and I think for me today, having witnessed the events of not just this week, but this whole year of 2020, the question of how or why God could let this happen is not at the forefront. Somehow, 2020 has taught me something that I suspect Matthew already knew. Evil just is. Evil and death, cruelty and greed, exploitation and pain are all present in this world, even though it is God's world. And based on my life so far, and my experience in ministry and the reading I've done, I don't think human beings ever really come up with a good answer as to why or how evil is present in God's world. Because at a certain point, any kind of answer as to why innocent babies would die, um, kind of comes up short. And as a minister, um, I know that there are really no good words to use when someone is crying out in deep pain and is really facing uh, deep injustice in their lives. There's nothing helpful I can say about why this is happening. I just have to be there and witness. So, we just know that evil or pain are present and that it is to be resisted. Evil is to be resisted with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and with all our strength. So Matthew is naming a reality that he knew, which is that Herod, evil personified, um, exists and that oppressed people and oppressed people all over the world know this. It is not pain and evil are not the only things in our world, right? They don't negate, they don't cancel out the very real presence of love and goodness and justice and kindness and mercy, but it's real. Now, I said a minute ago that Matthew has a reason for including this story of Herod's order to kill these children. Um, Traditionally in the church, we call this story the slaughter of the innocents. 
Now it's not based on historical events. Uh, Herod was a real person and he did have two of his own sons killed out of uh, paranoia about holding on to power. Um, but there's no record of, of this kind of mass killing of babies. But that whether or not it actually happened is not really important to Matthew. What is important is that he wants to prove that Jesus is a very Jewish Messiah. So Matthew's whole gospel is an argument, basically, with Jews of his day who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so in his whole gospel, Matthew works very, very hard to demonstrate that Jesus is so the Jewish Messiah. And so when you read Matthew, you'll see that he um, constantly uses the phrase, this is to fulfill the scripture that... Um, or he quotes Old Testament scripture because he's trying to link Jesus to every single possible uh, Jewish scripture. Now, if you have, why does that matter? Because if you have read the story of Moses, um, or I don't know if Moses's birth story is in the, the, the Charlton Heston movie, The Ten Commandments, but it is in the animated movie, The Prince of Egypt. You might remember that Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, likewise ordered all baby Hebrew boys to be killed. Why? Because the Hebrew slaves were growing too numerous and the Egyptians were frightened that they would be outnumbered. So Matthew takes this story of Moses and says, well, if Moses' birth story is going to include a frightened, maddened tyrant killing all the baby boys, then by golly, Jesus' birth story is going to have the same thing. But whether or not these events actually happened in history, they still happen in the story, which means that Matthew thought that it was an important story to tell about Jesus. And here we come to politics. What Pharaoh and Herod and the 45th president of the United States have in common is a terror of losing power. And as this week's events have demonstrated, and as Matthew knew, it is a very dangerous combination to have power, force, and a fear of losing power. The fear of losing power will lead to desperation, and if you are desperate and have a mob or an army, blood will be spilled. And just to be clear, there is nothing okay about this, right? Just because this is told in biblical stories does not mean that it is God's will. It doesn't mean that it is necessarily part of some larger divine plan. It does not mean that we are called to passively stand by and just let it happen. The prophet Micah calls us to seek justice, love, hum love kindness, and walk humbly with God. Jesus calls us to see him in the poor and the outcast, the imprisoned and the hungry. There is a very strong, clear call from the Bible to be active in this world for justice. We are called to resist violence and power mongering, much more easily said than done, but still crucial. But for us this morning, for we who do not have armies, for we who do not have mobs, I wonder whether the particular call for us with this scripture is to ask whether there might be a little mini Herod inside each one of us.
Is there a little tiny pharaoh inside that we carry around? Are we afraid of losing power? And this can show up in lots of ways. If you're a parent and your child is beginning to disagree with you or express opinions of their own, which basically means if they're the age of two or older, can we tolerate that? Or do we always have to have the last word? If we're in a meeting at work and someone points out an error in our presentation, are we comfortable saying in front of our colleagues, oh, thank you, you're right, that was my mistake. And what about our faith lives? I'm sure it is no news to you that ministers can get seduced by power. We might not have armies, but we are kind of put in charge of things. We are entrusted with certain things. And so if we become seduced by power, there can be some really devastating consequences. That's why I'm required to check in with people, right? Because I'm human. And if I don't pay attention, I can find myself misusing power. And I think too, we all need a little bit of power in our lives, right? Because we all need the ability to make decisions for ourselves. And that's why it can be so devastating when our friends, our parents are put in care homes against their will, right? Or have dri their driver's license taken away without their consent. Because when we can't decide things for ourselves, it's really painful. We need a certain amount of power over our own lives. But there are certain kinds of power that we are called to surrender. Jesus, this little baby in this story, is born to peasants. He is a nobody. And he comes from Nazareth in Galilee. I mean, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Galilee is nowhere. You don't go to Galilee, you go through Galilee. He hung out with prostitutes, with tax collectors, with sinners. He said he had nowhere to lay his head. He was an itinerant preacher. Jesus challenges our assumptions, the assumptions of this world about what matters and who's in and who's out and what kind of power we should hold on to. There are some kinds of power we have that are unjust. I, by virtue of the color of my skin, I have a certain amount of power just by walking out in the world. Because this world, unfairly, even in this beloved country of ours, Canada, of which I am so proud and that I love so much, even here, someone like me will not be questioned if I want to use the washroom at Starbucks, right? No one's going to call the police because they think I'm up to no good when I ask I can use the washroom. If I didn't come home one night and my parents went to the police to report me missing, the police would take my parents seriously. And heartbreakingly, that's not the case for everyone. I've never been afraid of being called names by a stranger on the street just because of the way I look. And I didn't earn that power, but it's really uncomfortable to think about. Right? We have good hearts, we have good intentions, we want this world to be good, and so, 
if we ever think about the possibility that we might benefit from an unfair system, it's deeply upsetting, not only because it contradicts our values, but because it raises the possibility that I might be complicit in an unfair system. It's scary when I hear my Black friends describe the prejudice they encounter because it calls into question my belief that the world is a good place and that Canada is a good country. Reckoning with power is difficult, my friends. But the promise of this story is that it is life-giving. Herod is described as being afraid and furious. A life that is stuck in fear and anger is not a life. It is certainly not the life abundant that Jesus promises us. It is the magi in this story who find joy. Now we think of them as kings with a certain power, but Matthew just describes them as wise men, scholars, astrologers. But Instead of being afraid or threatened, they kneel down, they worship, and they give precious gifts, and they are the ones who know joy. There is something about surrender that brings joy. There is something about kneeling before the presence of love, about offering all you have, about worshiping something greater than yourself and letting go of the need to be right that brings joy. So, my friends, I think we, and everyone are offered an invitation. Will we cling to whatever power we have and risk causing pain as a result? Or will we recognize that love given and received is the greatest power and that only joy can come of it? The choice is offered to us, friends. And the good news is that we are accompanied in all these choices. 